Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, hey there, y'all. How you guys doing? It's Jennifer, the Friendly Therapist, here with you today. And I just wanted to pop in before our podcast start and just give a little bit of a, a warning that today's topic might be triggering for many people to hear about. And this is definitely for adults only, not for teenagers or for children. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of kind of talking with and having an open dialogue um, about a topic that we encounter a lot when working with survivors of trauma, especially sexual trauma. And that topic that my coworker and I, Becky Roby, are going to be talking about today um, is entitled Sexually Reactive Behaviors. And so today's podcast, again, trigger warning might be a little upsetting, But I want us to approach this with an open mind and an open heart to understand how trauma truly does affect the body, how it affects um, emotions, and how it affects our actions and behaviors. So I hope you stick around and I hope you enjoy this amazing conversation that I get to have with Becky today. Love and light to all y'all. Hmm. Well, I am so excited to be here this morning on this nice fall um, morning here in Kentucky. And today on the podcast, to start by listening, we have a very interesting subject to talk about. And I brought in to the podcast um, a very dear friend of mine and a coworker who's amazing. Her name is Becky Roby. And she is going to introduce herself and then. Today, we're going to talk about sexually reactive behaviors. What are they? What do they look like? And um, just, oh my goodness, all kinds of good things about that. So Becky, welcome to Start By Listening. And if you'll just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, I'm sure the, the people who tune in would like to know who you are. Thanks, Jennifer. Hey, guys. My name is Becky Roby. And I'm the clinical coordinator at New Beginnings. Um, I've been at New Beginnings for about, I think going on 12 years. Um, So during that time, I picked up a little bit of knowledge on some things and definitely worked a lot with individuals on educating regarding sexual reactive behavior. So I was stoked to get with Jennifer so we could talk about all that info and share it with you guys. Morning. Morning. Good morning. I'm only, good morning. I'm only on my third cup of coffee, so <laughs> give me some grace this morning. Girl, you have all the grace in the world. I'm on my first cup of coffee, and I do not think that the trace minerals that I put in like my oat milk. It has, like, curdled it, so yay for me. 
Oh my gosh, so much fun in the morning, so much fun. Uh, oh, and I forgot to let everybody know, we are still kind of working from home at times. So I'm at home, Becky's at her home. And if you hear my dogs barking in the background, um, it is what it is. It is 2021 pandemic 2.0. So just putting that out there. Or my orchestra of kitty cats in the background. Yes, fun we'll, times. We'll cover our dog and cat lovers. Yes, we we have it, the yin and the yang. We have it all covered. Well, you know, Becky, you said you've been at New Beginnings for 12 years. Um, but actually, how long have you been a trauma therapist? Ooh. So that's a tricky question. Um, because I don't think I actually started paying particular attention to trauma continuing educations or specialties until I came to New Beginnings and worked specifically with sexual assault and abuse as I did more general social work and therapy previously. So I would say in the last 12 years and just as any agency or person grows, um, the more we know, the more we learn in new mm -hmm. beginnings. And so I would say the last eight years where we focused more on intervention techniques like EMDR, trauma-focused CBT, mm -hmm. SSP, person-centered. So just, yeah, I, I would say in the last eight. Okay, fair enough. I'm just I'm kind of giving a yeah, giving the audience just, you know, a generalized like timeline. But fun fact. Yeah. In my previous, um, in my previous employment, I actually worked with individuals who had been charged with sexual offenses. And now on the flip, I work with survivors of sexual assault. Wow. That's really cool because that gives you a really true big picture of the trauma of itself of sexual assault, you know, that gives you a perspective of perpetration and also the perspective of survivorship and healing. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, you know, you're, you are so correct. It's like the more you know, and it's like each year, we grow older, we become wiser, we learn, we, we mature. And I think back on my own journey, when I first started at New Beginnings, like I knew general social work for, you know, 15 plus years of working so many various generalized uh, agencies in Louisville and then here in Owensboro. Um, but I think about my own personal journey and learning about trauma and learning about therapy and trauma in the last five years. And it has just, it's like um, a bonfire, you know, it starts off smoldering, you're trying to get the fire going, you're learning, you're diving in, and then boom, suddenly you have this big bonfire and you're like, whoa, that's really cool. Look at all this stuff that I know to be able to help other people, you know? Well, and when you ask that question specifically, I had to stop and look back because I want to compare, but it's not a comparison. Mm -hmm. I want to compare what I know now to what I knew at the beginning, but <clears throat> experience, knowledge, um, other individuals in the community, supervisors, everything I attribute to the 
to the information and knowledge that I know now, my, my immediate reaction though, I wanted to judge myself like, oh, I wasn't the best therapist I could have been at that point, but I was because yep. that's as much knowledge that I knew about trauma in that mm-hmm. moment of time. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to cleanse myself of that right now and be like, mm-hmm. where I am now, it's, it's just different because I've had a whole lot of opportunities yes. than when I did 10, 12, 15 years ago for learning and growth. So heck yeah. I mean, I went mm-hmm. through my master's in social work program uh, from 2001 to 2003. It's a long time ago. <laughs> and they never talked about the word trauma. That wasn't even a word. Didn't exist. And now I'm <sighs> sure it's all over the place and it is the buzzword, you know, trauma. And uh, so many things are buzzy. Um, and that's fine. It's like, whatever gets people interested to learn and grow and help themselves. I'm all about that, you know? So I think the more we can get the information out into the communities, um, I think that's just cool as hell personally. You know, that's my goal with the podcast, just to give knowledge so people can go on their own deep dives, um, rabbit holes. (laughs) So in the last 12 years, Um, Would you say that you have had a little bit or a lot of working with sexually reactive behaviors of kids and adults? I would say I've definitely um, had my fair share of working with individuals, whether it was the kiddos or the adults who displayed sexual reactive behaviors a whole different plethora which I'm sure we'll get into mm-hmm. examples what's going on at that time and their brain or how they're responding to triggers so I've had my fair share mm-hmm. yeah yeah or consulted uh, with individuals about their cases um, on what intervention techniques and what to do yeah for sure so there are probably people sitting there listening, going, what the hell are sexually reactive behaviors? So can you give some just generalized examples of what might be considered sexually reactive behaviors? And if we can kind of give a general overview for what that looks like in kids and then what that looks like in adults too. So with that question, is there like any kind of warning or, um, for this particular podcast, because we are going to be talking about some things that could be triggering for individuals if they do have a history of their own sexual trauma or, and, or if there's a kid that's listening, because when we talk about sexually reactive behavior, behaviors, there is, um, just want to make sure that this falls on the ears that can take this knowledge in healthily. Absolutely. Um, I'll put that in uh, the description of the details of what the podcast is about. And also when I do the intro, I'll let everybody know this is a very sensitive subject and uh, probably for adult ears only. But obviously, if you have children that are experiencing this, this would be very helpful for you to tune into. So, but yeah. And for our podcast, it is listed as explicit content due to the fact of just the nature of our job. And, you know, um, we, I think, don't consider it explicit because it is part of healing. It is part of 
talking and working through the trauma that an individual has experienced. But I understand there are people who have not experienced sexual assault or sexual trauma, and um, it could be very explicit for them. So, yeah. I trust you. I just, it's the inner social worker in me that just must ask. So absolutely. No, I love it. Yay. (laughs) Sexual reactive behaviors. To put it into words, I would say it is an individual's response physically to internal triggers, anxiety, or any feeling that they may be having. Um, And it's their ability to cope with what's going on, to make sense of it. It's really hard to put that in a one definition because there's so many different reasonings one when you're talking to somebody when you get down to the root of it for their sexual reactive behaviors. But I would say professionally, it is a response to an internal feeling that they're having. Mm-hmm. And their attempt is to cope with it, whether the feeling of the sexual reactive behavior brings them some type of relief for their anxiety, um, or it helps for them to, for affect regulation mm-hmm. based on what's going on internally. And so these responses specifically are sexual in nature. So they could involve their own private parts, someone else's private parts, animal private parts, or there is some type of motion, gesture that's sexual in nature, um, even on inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. I think that is a beautiful way to explain that. It really is. Um, You know, and we get lots of phone calls from the community where parents, caregivers, whomever will call and they are really like, I'm going to use the word freaked out. Oh yeah, for sure. They'll say, I caught my kiddo humping a pillow, humping a stuffed animal, humping the dog. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, that, that when you get that phone call, like that internal process as a therapist, my nervous system, you know, kind of goes Eek! as well because of the fear and of the concern that I'm hearing in the person on the other side. It's like my nervous system is taking on that energy in that moment, right? Because, you know, we are energetic beings. And I know that the first thing to do is just to begin to to validate, to listen, and to help that person, you know, begin to kind of calm their nervous system. Because when we say the words, just in our North American culture, just culturally speaking, when we say the word sex, sexuality, people don't like to talk about that. Mm -mm. You know, Um, people don't like to talk about that. People don't like to educate about that. They want other people to do that work for them. And so already we have just this cloud of avoidance on sexuality and sex. And now you have um, 
individuals calling and wanting to know has my kid has or has this person been sexually abused because I saw them doing this and so right there to educate when it comes to sexual reactive behaviors especially in this day and age it doesn't necessarily mean that a kid has been sexually abused yeah it could mean that they have seen um, content that is their their brain can't process and that it's not healthy for them to see um, and we get that a lot too they've either been privy to an adult or someone being an engaging in sexual activity or they've seen certain content on their ipads and that's why it's really important too um more than ever to monitor and supervise mm -hmm. what your kids are watching because they are capable of looking up things and using the verbal commands on their smart tablets and phones more than you think that they can. So it just takes one button, one push, one word, and it opens a door for them to push and listen and watch and push and listen and watch. And they're curious and then they want to know and they want to see. Um, and we know kids is, uh, they copy behaviors, they monkey see monkey do. And so then they will start to be able to process what they've seen. That's where the word, when we say sexual reacting behaviors act out. Mm -hmm. So they may do exactly what they have seen in that video, in that, um, picture or what they've seen two other people engage in mm -hmm. and boom. We got a kiddo who's sexually acting out. Yes. And that can be really scary for, I think, any caregiver or parent to witness mm -hmm. because our brains are wired to go to worst case scenario. Right. Ding, ding, ding. My kid's been abused. Who is it? Yes. 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 And that's scary. That's fearful. That's, oh my gosh. Um, what have I missed? You know, all kinds of things I think run through the, the brains of caregivers when they see that. Yeah. So when you're on the phone with these individuals and you are calming and then you're normalizing and you got to go back, um, there's a lot of parents or caregivers who, because they didn't talk about it growing up, mm -hmm. because they didn't ask questions, they're really not sure what normal sexual development is. Yes. Normal sexual curiosity. Yes. Questions. Because that is a very valid and real thing. You know, yep. self-exploration is natural and normal for children. Um, it is natural and normal for children to masturbate. Um, but in our culture, you know, that is looked down upon and by some individuals and also um, some religious uh, belief systems also, you know, hold that that is not natural nor normal. Um, and so you have family culture meets religious culture mm -hmm. meets social culture meets, oh my gosh, it just becomes a cluster. Then. <laughs> well, and then we're working with individuals who could have generational trauma. And so the, the caregivers are uh, yep. very reactive initially based on their history of trauma, uh, especially if it hasn't been processed mm -hmm. or worked through. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, sexual reactive behaviors. Yes. It's, 
it's so like at the surface, it seems pretty just like cut and dry. But then when you really start to dig into and look at all those layers, it really is a very complex um, situation. Very complex. Um, so my thought is what some examples of sexual reactive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout the years, uh, working with individuals, there is so many different examples of sexual reactive behaviors. Um, but you hit on some of the ones that we see more commonly. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be um, when children are self-soothing or masturbating um, to be able to calm anxiety or whatever feeling that they're having internally. And that could be over the clothes, under the clothes, or using an object, a pillow, um, different things like that. You can have sexual reactive behaviors um, when individuals are attempting to touch other people's private parts um, without, you know, they're just lack of boundaries. That's not my space, but I'm going to touch your private parts mm-hmm. um, because normal and natural development, depending on how the kid is, is they're very curious. I mean, I have a fresh four-year-old who wants to know why I don't have a penis. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is my penis? And mm-hmm. um, are you going to grow a penis? These are, I'm like, these are really good questions. Thank you for asking these. Let's sit down and talk about it. So kids see their private parts and then want to know why do mine look different? So the looking, the observing, mm-hmm. but then when there's that crossover, because as kids, the first instinct isn't, I want to touch yours. It's, I'm going to look, I'm curious, I'm asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then touching someone else's private parts, sexual reactive behaviors, using objects that they're going to put in an orifice, whether it's their vagina or their butt. And it could be, because those are also things to be curious about our private parts, mm-hmm. whole different scenario when you have kids, especially younger children, thinking I'm going to place an object in those orifices. Mm-hmm. Um, animals. So noticing animals, private parts, being aware of them, but then not respecting the animal's mm-hmm. body. So we see that as well. In adults, it looks different. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, I've worked with the individuals as adults that display sexual concerns that they identify as a sexual concern and they want to work on in therapy. Um, but you don't get those initial calls because mm-hmm. it's so intimate to discuss those things um in the individuals that have shared that it's usually the individuals that have been in therapy for a while they really have a good rapport with me Mm -hmm. we're able to do um different trauma symptom inventories that bring up questions that we discuss 
or things that were educating and then they're able to identify this hasn't been healthy or safe for me mm -hmm. let's talk about it so if it becomes more to coping skills masturbation um multiple partners without maybe having any emotional connection to them or even displaying not displaying, but maybe when they are having sex that they deem as consensual, it is extremely unhealthy for them because they haven't processed their history of trauma. So it really looks different when we're talking about kids versus adults. Um, so I don't know if you're wanting to talk a little bit more towards and focus on the kids or if you're wanting, uh, you could probably just do episode on episode on that. I know. <laughs> I know. Right. That's why I love this podcast. There is so many opportunities for each season to really dive into themes. You know what I mean? And this, mm -hmm. this season is back to the basics. And so we're just doing the basics and just giving basic knowledge. That's the first podcast of the month. And then the second one is like, okay, now what do you do now that you have this knowledge? How do you help this individual? How do you help yourself, et cetera? Um, I think just doing the general, like you just did is really, that's, that's where we are. Um, you know, because it, it is very triggering for lots of people, people that have been abused and then people that haven't been abused, because maybe now people are thinking, I never knew this existed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think too, within the context of the sexual reactive behaviors, boundaries pops up because I'm envisioning and well, I'm not envisioning, but I'm thinking about other examples of sexual reactive behaviors and and I'm going to use my, my four-year-old because I think it's a safe um, example, but, you know, kids are very much inquisitive and I encourage my, my kids to ask questions, especially when it's about their body. Um, I want to answer those questions. I want to be their educator. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to know that my kid feels comfortable to ask me and, Hey, he may be silly and toot on me. Or, um, you know, if he runs around because he hasn't put his pants on for the day after he's went to the restroom, but would my kiddo, because of the boundaries that we've taught in this home, go do that at school or at the babysitter's house? No because that's the difference between feeling safe and comfortable here with his body and talking about it. And I have my body boundaries and he has his body boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you go to school and you hear the teachers or the parents or the caregivers call in and they talk about how um, Joe is pantsing people and laughing, and then he's exposing himself in the bathroom and showing people his penis and talking about it. And so we know that Kids can be impulsive, um, but at the same time, if we don't talk about boundaries and privacy, then that's yes. going to be a problem in the school setting, right? Absolutely. Um, and oh, so goodness. would I call that sexual acting out? Uh, yeah, that one. Not so much, but it, it's yeah. something that is inappropriate and, and with the boundaries at school, that would be a situation where we definitely want to talk to the parents and talk about the kids and encourage the parent to set boundaries with the mm -hmm. child, um, teaching about privacy. So different things like that come up in my mind too when we're talking about boundaries um, and with kids, depending on their age and behaviors that they're displaying. 
Yeah, that definitely. And sometimes people would think that that is sexually acting out, you know, like in the the restroom, the example you gave, but really in my brain that goes to, that's just a boundary issue. That's it just depends. I'd want to ask questions. What other things? Absolutely. Yes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, For sure. But yeah, the, in that particular, it's like, that's like an attention, that's impulsivity, that's boundary. Now, if that same kiddo in the bathroom is wanting to expose himself and then he wants somebody else to touch his penis. Okay, that's that's a whole different level in my brain. Now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm more concerned about that. And let's, what else have we noticed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought of something, you know, when you were talking about some of the sexually reactive behaviors in adults. Um, there is so much shame, I think, mm-hmm. that especially adults come into therapy with, you know, because our adult brains have had adult years to concrete in things versus kids. Yes, they experience shame as well. Don't get me wrong, but they have kid brains, you know, and they don't have let's say 40 years worth of concrete shame versus five years, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. but I can only imagine um, the shame that, that is present when an adult is working through some things that they want to work on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want to touch a little bit on that topic of how shame plays into this role of um, sexually reactive behaviors. What do you think about that? Oh, Lord. Well, when we talk about trauma and what makes it so impactful and harmful Mm -hmm. is shame and guilt, Mm -hmm. the root of it all. So my... I want to rewind and just say I am honored when I can create a space with a client where they can go to that place and feel comfortable, comfortable, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They're pushing through knowing all the feelings that are going to come up regarding the shame, regarding maybe some of the sexual choices, the history of sexual acting out that's happened. Yeah. And then to talk about it and process it because who the hell wants to feel that feeling? Who? No. You want to zip your mouth. You want to be quiet. You don't want anybody to know. What if they're going to judge me? What if I talk about it and it makes me feel terrible? Mm -hmm. I am a bad person. You know, all of these negative thoughts that come up. And how brave an individual is when they want to face that and be like, no, this has had enough control over me. Um, I have a good relationship with my therapist. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Holy moly. You know, and I, you know how much I love Renee Brown and, you know, and all the work she's done on shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there is something that is just, I'm going to use the word sacred because beautiful is just too flat of a word to use. Sacred, mystical, divine. When a client 
has that level of safety and connection with the therapist to be able to really unpack that shame, you know, mm-hmm. and it is an honor. It is a privilege because uh, with our nervous systems, you know, we have that neuroception where our nervous systems are constantly scanning the environment. Is this safe? Is this unsafe? And in sessions, we always have um, disruptions because it's a turning of the head. It is um, a watch. It is a speck of dust, a a fly. There's always a disruption that happens in sessions. And there's always the opportunity to have a repair, you know, with our Mm -hmm. nervous systems to acknowledge that. And so being the energetic beings, being this neuroception and constantly seeking safe and unsafe for a client that has been, um, had their, their boundaries so violated through sexual assault, sexual abuse, I think, to deem a therapy environment as safe to unpack that and begin to talk about the shame and begin to release that baggage. That is just such a sacred thing. Mm-hmm. And I think of the level of safety and trust and connection that needs to happen between those two nervous systems. And that is, that doesn't happen with every therapist. Nope, it doesn't just doesn't. And a part of that, I think, is also our ability to take in all of that information in general and be okay with talking about the really hard things. Right. And so when you bring that up, when, so at New Beginnings, we obviously work with individuals who've been impacted by sexual harm. Sometimes when you're working with individual therapists in the community, they may not have that skill set, that exposure, that training, and it could be harmful mm-hmm. if they take that on with the client mm-hmm. just because of all the things that you're talking about. So it's really important as the professional that you, like you said, you're aware of your nervous system. How does it land in your body? Mm-hmm. Have you processed your own stuff? Are you able to be aware of your reactions or your responses? Because unfortunately, I've had several clients who have, who have told me that their responses in the community, depending on certain therapists, um, weren't healthy response in terms Mm -hmm. of the sexual assault and abuse. Yeah. If you came to me, Jennifer, and and told me something and you're having a shitty day and I said, just get over it. That happened five minutes ago. (laughs) I mean, could you even imagine? No, because you would never do that. No. And if you did, I'd be looking at you and I'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So, and when a client shares that with me, I I just really sit and listen and I say, I'm so glad that you kept looking. I'm so glad that you didn't give up because, you know, like we've talked about in some of your previous podcasts um, with the job, just like anybody else, you got the good, bad, and the ugly. And it's really our job to well, not our job. I'm saying that as a, as an individual who's been in therapy, mm-hmm. it was my job to find someone that I felt safe with mm-hmm. and then decide if I could trust them with my stiff. Absolutely. So there is a responsibility when you're working with their client um, and they have certain things that come up 
to be aware as a professional, um, do I have the skill set for this? Do I need to make a referral? Have I done my work? Uh, so being able to sit back and contemplate, oh, I noticed I wanted to skip over that or ignore it or, you know, as opposed to asking more questions, um, yeah. being curious with your client, um, commending them for talking about that in that space and then checking in after. How do you feel after we just talked about some of those things? Um, that yeah. was pretty heavy. Yeah. What are some of the feelings that you noticed? How do you feel now about the conversation that we just had? What do you notice in your body? Mm -hmm. What are gonna? What are some coping skills that you feel like we could switch up um, and and talk about today that could be more helpful when you get home in case you start to think about our session mm -hmm. and think about some of the things that you talked about. Yeah. Hmm. You know, doesn't it just feel like in my nervous system right now? It just feels so much lighter. And it feels so much more at ease just in talking about shame being lifted. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because I really believe that shame and guilt are the two, like, the two feelings that really can prevent a person from moving forward. Absolutely. And if we can normalize, validate, and listen and begin to demystify shame, begin to wrestle with that beast of itself, um, I think clients really, gosh, that's when, I, and I think by my own personal experience in therapy, that's when I really felt like, okay, this person I can trust, like you said, like they're willing as, Renee would say they're willing to get in the arena with me mm -hmm. you know I know it's my arena but I'm inviting them inside and they're willingly walking into my arena and I have no idea if it's going to be a dusty arena a bloody arena <laughs> you know a shitty arena I have no idea until I'm, I've walked through it they don't know either <laughs> you know um but I trust them and they've proven that they can handle the hard stuff and okay, it, it's, it's today's the day, you know, or this month is the month, whatever, you know. Um, but clients know that. I mean, our nervous systems know, we inherently already know who is safe and who is not safe. My brain immediately connects to um, education in the community, education with caregivers, um, because I have gotten many calls throughout the year too from daycare centers and after school programs and staff doesn't know how to respond yeah. to sexually active behaviors or they want to consult on what to do um, when they see a couple kids that are masturbating during nap time on their mats. Yeah. Um, well, and I say for those people who call us to ask for help, oh my God, that's amazing. Please Heck continue yeah. to call us because um, I can remember being in my early 20s um, when I was in college. I worked at an after school care program 
right? Mm-hmm. And if I would have seen that, I would not have known what the hell to do because they don't teach you in school things like this. You know what I mean? And so, the, and you were a social worker, right, at the time? Or oh going gosh. School? Oh no 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 or no. Pre. Okay. Yeah, this was my uh, early twenties. This is when I was in my undergrad. So okay. this was, I, I got paid, oh gosh, what was it? Five dollars. <laughs> no, I think it was like $5 an hour back then. You know, like who knows? This was in 90, 98, 99 kind of thing. So a long time ago. But I mean, I worked with kids and I knew that there was something, and I'm going to use this word because this is what I used back then. I would not use this today, but back then, I would say there's something wrong with this kid, okay? Come full circle to 20 plus years in the future now, I now have a different view. I I think, wow, something has happened to this kid. I don't know what, but something, you know? So it's, it's interesting just in my own personal journey through education, through knowledge, through help that I've learned just how to even begin to to view understand and view it right yeah Yeah, because we know it's not the individual it's the experiences that have happened yes uh, to an individual but being a 20 year old working in a daycare mm -hmm. that is scary as hell to see something like that that's what you're not expecting on a Thursday afternoon you know what I mean yep yeah and so I commend those people who call and ask and absolutely because that's they're they're the front lines (laughs) you know um and I think to acknowledge for those individuals that call and to normalize for them yes everything that you're feeling and thinking is normal and it's okay and let's give you some knowledge right Mm -hmm. um at least that's the way my brain you know kind of uh operates from that standpoint but I I mean I know when I went in through my graduate graduate school, through college, et cetera, it's very general. There was nothing that was specific. And there were many things I have encountered in the last 20 years that there was no education that could have prepared me for. None. It was really all based on my instinct, based on my experience, based on what do I need to do in this moment. Um, and teachers. Teachers, uh, when they go through their teacher education, they're not taught about this either. Daycare workers, nobody's taught about this. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and when you talk about the shame and the guilt, um, you know, just being able to identify private parts, and I'm sure that's something when you're talking about back to the basics, um, Mm -hmm. when I'm discussing penis or vagina or... your butt, your bottom. It's a body part, just like our nose and our eyes and our ears and our elbow, except for it's yours and it's private. It's more private parts, but it's really hard because you can automatically um, hear the shame or the guilt or um, the uncertainty coming from a client or a caregiver or an individual and they call in on a crisis call on the way that they even say the words penis or vagina or Mm -hmm. butt or any type of 
private part, whatever the slang is, whatever term that they're using, because um, it could be lowered or um, the name could be, you know, that one private part. Um, or it's just, it immediately becomes identifiable that there's shame and guilt attached to it. Yes. Well, um, what's interesting, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, in working with kids, when I get to that point where I start to educate about body parts, um, and there's a lot of association of our private parts as being bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, wow, that's interesting. You know, and of course, depending on how old the kid is, you know, it depends on questions I ask. But, you know, how did you learn that private parts are bad? <laughs> right. Because I, I always talk about every part of our body has a function. Mm-hmm. That's so important. And I'll start off with easy things like what is the function or I'll say purpose for our eyes so we can see what is the purpose or function for our nose so we can smell. And then I'll go into what is the purpose or function and I'll use the words of what kids use and Mm -hmm. they'll say butt or bottom and they'll kind of look at me like they don't know and I'll say well there's a lot of functions. Number one you're able to sit and then the lights start to go off like oh my gosh if I didn't have a butt I couldn't sit down I was like you couldn't (laughs) right I can't Uh, ride my bike yeah you wouldn't be able to walk if you didn't have a butt you know and then I'll say what else does your butt do and then you know you see like especially um um younger children I think it's hilarious talk about pee and poop right oh yeah it's it's the talk of the town and yes and they'll say well you get to go poop and I'm like oh my god and I'm making a big thing you know (laughs) I'm like what would happen if you did not poop and you see like the wheels just and the creativity and most of the kids will say oh my god you would die and actually that is a true statement like as a nurse from a biological perspective I have seen people die from constipation (laughs) okay it, it's, I know it's crazy. It happens. So butts are really important. And I do that with all the body parts. I do that. What's the function and appropriateness age, obviously of a penis, you know, and, you know, for a 17 year old, it's going to be very different than for like a five-year-old. Well, I get to go pee. Yeah. What would happen if you didn't pee? Oh my God. I don't know. What would happen if I didn't pee, Miss Jennifer? I don't know. What do you think? You know, and so it's so important because that begins to take away the shame as well. It's like mm-hmm. it's a function. It's if we didn't have these body parts, what would happen? That's one way that I, I love, begin to do. Yes, that. yeah, I love it. I do with adults too. You know, mm-hmm. in a very different way. Because if I acted like like I, with my voice, they'd look at me like I was crazy. And then they'd be calling you and saying, um, yes, I want a new therapist because that Jennifer is fucking crazy. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, God, Jennifer, we got what did she do in session now? <laughs> but it is it's, it's like it's a new way of, of thinking It's creating a new neural pathway of body parts have a purpose mm-hmm. and a function. And it's also the same thing with sexually, yeah, sexually reactive behaviors. They have a function. 
in that moment, it is providing a function for the emotional, for the behavioral, for the physical. Mm-hmm. We might not understand it, but it's a function. Yeah, and just, uh, which will be really interesting when we do discuss in the next podcast about now what? Mm-hmm. Someone is displaying sexual behaviors, then what What happens? How to respond? Yeah. What do you do? Because um, that's really important. So then we don't create shame and guilt. Yeah. Because body parts, private parts, are good and great and cultural in its own just biological way. Unless we are taught otherwise. Unless we, a caregiver, a trusted adult, someone responds in a negative way and then we stop and go, oh, hmm. My penis is bad. My boobs are bad. My breasts are bad. My... And yeah. then if we, as an individual, equate that our body is bad, then that leads to that negative thought that I am bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in this one conversation, we can be a kid who displayed sexual reactive behaviors and had an instance, an instance of someone who is a caregiver respond in a negative way towards our private parts. And it lays the path of, I am bad, my body is bad, sex is bad. Um, so impactful. And, and all the things that we know, um, sex is normal and natural and healthy, given consent, communication but wow it's just I know we could could spread off into like eight different topics right now (laughs) I know I know right like there will never not be a topic for this podcast (laughs) never ever because each conversation I have with each individual as co-hosting it's like it opens up so many worlds of opportunities, you know, and um, yeah, it's just, it's so powerful. The work we do is so powerful. I do want to normalize and when an individual has had been a victim of sexual abuse or harm or been previewed to pornography or content that their brain isn't ready for Mm -hmm. sexual reactive behaviors are a way that they process yeah tell me a little bit more about that explain that so when you think about a kid um and they hear something that creates internal feelings whether it's anger worry being scared, just the way that they respond can be on the gamut, right? They may throw mm-hmm. a fit. Um, 
they want power and control. And the word no is, is no, I'm not doing this. No, no, no. I want control. I want to do this my way. So when we think about their exposure to sexual content or being a, uh, a victim of sexual abuse, it then becomes seen in their brain as a normal, appropriate thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. And even if they were scared at that time when it happened, there could still be some curiosity, some questioning. Um, what did I see? What did I feel? What happened? So then they may reenact those things. Um, and we also know too, when it comes to kids and our private parts, obviously our vaginas and our penises have, um, I, don't, I don't remember the exact number when it comes to pleasure centers A and lot. different things. Yeah, and the differences between the bodies, but there can be a correlation immediately when a child um, is processing and they touch their private part or they hunch a pillow and it feels comforting and it helps to release some of that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we start patterns with a coping skill when they're masturbating. And so you talked about the functions of the body. Oh, just think of a kiddo as they are attempting to process what's happened to them and what they've seen in their brain. So the internal response becomes an external response so they can process like tangibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when you just explained that, like my brain just was like, that makes sense. A leads to B. Yes. I get that. And we know that kids don't have the ability to understand things at an adult level because their brains are still forming and Mm -hmm. changing and growing. And so they cannot sometimes express themselves with words. And it is through their behaviors through play, through interaction, that they get to process what they've experienced, witnessed, etc. And so in my brain, it makes sense as to how and why a child would have what we would call some sexually reactive behaviors, because it's their way of making sense. It's their way of understanding. It's their way of processing. Mm-hmm. what has happened yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. yep wow what was that after school shows and specials they always would have this star that was shooting and it would say the more you know <laughs> you know Gosh, how do we get all of this good information to parents and to the community? How do we do that? Can we like aerosol this into the air? Well, you know, even if you did, that means it would need to land on a caregiver that feels comfortable in discussing it. Yeah, that is a true statement. Yeah. 
And, and, yeah. and we know ultimately through research that the best um, prevention for body safety is coming from a trusted caregiver who is safe and healthy, taking the time to sit down and talk mm -hmm. to a kiddo. And we also know that as human beings, adults, kids makes no difference, that unless we feel safe and connected, that we don't even begin to have the ability to learn, to be curious, to ask questions, and to be able to um, explore uh, with a safe, trusted person those concerns. And right now, uh, because we are living through a pandemic, our nervous systems are strictly in survival mode. We're not able to have those really long extended periods of safety and connection where we can do those things. And unfortunately, which I think I've said unfortunately like 50 times during this podcast, <laughs> but I want people to understand. So even during the pandemic and, um, and kids working, well, now they're back in school, but depending on what state and where you're at, they could be working, they could be at home and virtual. Mm -hmm. Kids are using way more technology than they ever have. Mm -hmm. Unsupervised. Mm -hmm. And being ready for what's going to happen because of that sexual reactive behaviors are going to increase tremendously based on the content that they may see that their brains are not ready for. That is so true. And like, I know, and you know that our technology listens to us and it picks up conversations and thereby it then will structure our searches on search engines based on what it's heard. And sometimes just typing in certain letters will bring up topics or subjects. So Squirrel, did you ever think about doing an educational podcast with one of the educators about prevention techniques on tablets, parental controls? One, I mean, it is one of the number one things that I have parents and caregivers ask is oh how do I do that? How do we monitor? How can I make it safe? Um, the kids know more about technology than I do. I have not. I'll have to go back to my list of all the topics, but I think I've got room. So definitely I can add that one. Uh, can you send me a text reminder? <laughs> I sure can. Can you send me a text reminder to remind me to remind you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. Um, you know, that's a good thing is, you know, and I mean, I don't have kids, so I, I don't have Wi-Fi um, protection, et cetera. Um, but, you know, there are certain programs that you can install that will protect and filter out a bunch of unwanted things um, like Disney Circle is one of them um, and it protects any person in your home that is using the wi-fi 
But the problem with most of those is that, especially, you know, when children get older and they go to, you know, friends' houses, et cetera, if your friends don't have Wi-Fi protection, then that's where a whole host of opportunities. And kids like to show and teach other kids things, right? It's like, hey, um, because I've had that happen before where kids will talk about in session, Sally, Susie, Johnny, and Joe showed me this video at the lunch table or on the playground. And I'm like, oh, well, what was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that's why it's really important as a caregiver or a trusted adult who has a relationship, you have the open communication to talk about all those things. Even if the kids are putting their fingers in their ears, they are listening. And these are conversations that have to happen. Yeah. So essentially as adults, we have to get uncomfortable. We have to get comfortable with the uncomfortableness of having those really difficult and hard conversations. Um, I will share this with you. I was nine years old when I learned about sex, when I learned about puberty. My mom, who was a nurse, sat down with a book that had all these crazy pictures. Uh, And this book was, okay, so this was in the 1980s. So this book was from the 70s. (laughs) So let's just put that right there. 70s pictures on sex education. Okay. Um, People were tripping back then. And um, I remember the three of us sitting down at the kitchen table, reading through this book, talking about sex, talking about how babies get made through sexual activity, how babies are born. Like it had a picture of um, a woman crowning with the baby coming out of the vagina. I mean, it was Like we're talking explicit and I was nine years old and I remember being traumatized. Right. And I was like, it was a Thursday morning. I wasn't prepared for this literally. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you telling me this? And mom was like, you need to know about this. You need to know about periods. You need to know about um, ejaculation. You need to know about penises, vaginas, breasts. You need to know about all of this. And then of course, There was the whole talk about, you know, sex happens between two people who love each other when they're married. You know, that was my family, you know, systemic value system. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I don't ever remember her telling me not to share that with people. So, Becky, you know how much I love to give knowledge to people. Oh, I can see this nine-year-old Jennifer standing on top of the desk at school. Yes, and I went to Blessed Mother Catholic School. The schools. nuns are coming over and hushing you. Oh no! What a shameful! Oh no, I'm. I'm. It was worse than that. Oh. So I went to school and I educated everybody about penises, vaginas, ejaculation, how babies get born, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't remember any of this because all this was after years after I heard about this. But my mom got so many phone calls from parents, (laughs) from uh, the principal at the time, who was Sister Mary Damien, um, saying, how dare she educate me about things like that? And thank goodness for my mother being who she is, 
because she stood up to all those people and she basically said, no shame on you for not educating your children about this. Yes, it was inappropriate for her to go and talk about that. She, you know, she accepted Mm -hmm. that responsibility, but it is very okay to talk about these things with children because children need to know, you know, and even, even, I love it. I love it that you shared that story. Thank you. And I'm hoping if that had, I don't know. Do you remember when you were nine? Do you remember how you felt about um, being called out in class? Or is that something that you'd forgotten? Do you remember any type of responses that they gave you at school? So I remember, no, I remember kids. I never knew about any of that other part of the adults or sister Mary Damien until years later when I was an adult that I, and that was beautiful. My mom never put that on me. Right. Cause that's for right. grownups. That's not for kids to know. Um, but I remember that talking and sharing with the kids on the merry-go-round that's where we were because they still had merry-go-rounds back then mm-hmm. um I had several kids are like that's not true that's not how that happens and I'm like well how does it happen then and they're like well your mommy and daddy just go to bed and they pull the covers up and then moms get pregnant and I was like no the penis has to go into the vagina and there has to be ejaculation it's called sperm like I remember that like I was countering what I knew was incorrect knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Based on a book, right? Based on actually reading and seeing pictures in a book. And they're like, no, that's not right. Like, I wish I could remember who those kids were. And I wish I could say now, like, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Yeah, the penis does have to be somewhere close to the vagina. Ejaculation has to happen so the sperm can swim up there to the ovaries, to the to the fallopian tubes to, to have the egg to be um, uh, fertilized to come back down to the uterus, you know. And, and so the things that you're describing are great education that your mom took the time to do. And we also know in working with survivors, this is the education that we got to do with the kiddos yep. when they come in, uh, because then we teach them backwards. They've already had some of, mm-hmm. they've had sexual activity happen. Mm-hmm. which is, it, it wasn't consensual. It is sexual abuse, but they're still curious and scared and they have tons of questions. So when I bring that book out, when I talk about things, when I show a picture, they are, and I'm going to say they, meaning I, I don't think I've ever had a kid who hasn't been engaged, ask questions because they are confused. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go backwards and talk about things that they never learned. And that and that's a conversation that we have with the caregivers. This is what I want to do. Is this something that you consent to? Have y'all ever talked about this? Mm-hmm. And usually the parents want us to do it. And I talk about how I want them to do it at home too, um, because that's really where the connection and, and safety happens and understanding. And it takes away the shame and guilt with the kiddo. Yeah. But I got to go back and talk about what is an erection why body responses what is normal and natural and healthy Mm -hmm. um sex and pornography that's not really what sex and love is let's talk about what it really looks like Uh, let's talk about the size of private parts and what is um uh, typical or normal and how they glamorize it in pornography and so there is so much work that we have to go back and do Mm -hmm. that helps 
take away some of the shame and guilt because kids have so many questions about the body and why our body does what it does. Um, oh yeah. When yeah, we're they in do. treatment and we're working with them. They do. And so I can just imagine little Jennifer being like, why does this do this? And what's that? And what's this called? And why do we do that? Mm-hmm. Asking all those questions. Oh yeah. I had tons of questions. Tons of questions. I remember my father being very uncomfortable, which was hilarious, you know. Um, I remember my mom just being very cut and dried and this is the way it is. And, you know, th- you will get a menstrual cycle, aka a period. And I was like, no, I don't want that. And she's like, well, sorry, but it's going <laughs> to happen. It's biological. And I remember thinking that is the worst thing that could ever happen. <laughs> you know, um, but again, she wanted me to have all of this information. And then throughout the years as well, don't get me wrong, we would have more conversations, you know. Um, and so it was just really, you know, yeah. And I, I just think, um, gosh, that really just, it was science, it was biology. There's no shame and there was no shame attached to any of that. It was, mm-hmm. this is the basic functions and this is why we have bodies. This is what they do, you know? So thank God for my mom being a nurse and having that ability to do that. Or who knows what kind of message I might've grown up with, you know, about body parts. So, yeah. But it's never too, kids are never too young to begin to talking about body parts and normalizing. Never too young. Preach, girl. <laughs> so much fun. Wow. This has just been such a great conversation and um, such great dialogue and just so much more like expansion of where to go from here with topics in the future. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I've really enjoyed this today. This has been really nice. Thanks for the invite. Can you think of anything else that we haven't touched on? No, but I will be looking forward to coming back so we can talk a little bit um, about what to do next when, when someone is displaying kind of responses to have what creates a healthy environment mm-hmm. and addressing discussing those behaviors because that's very very important to yes. the kiddos prognosis and how they write their script for their life yeah how they view their body it is and I love it I love it I love it when you uh, work with a kiddo who's the message they had received was that my body my private parts are bad and to see them turn that around and embrace themselves and have body autonomy and have boundaries and say, no, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a beautiful, powerful. Thing. Oh, yeah. it's so powerful. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> Oh, I just have some vision of some of the kiddos I've worked with over the years and how they just step into that autonomy. I love it. 
great memory. <laughs> oh. Well, Becky, it has been such a joy to spend this Thursday morning with you. Thank you so much for Thank your willingness. You. Of course. I appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks and we'll be talking about what do we do now? Yay! <laughs> I'll be there. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Becky. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, everybody, for listening and tuning in. I hope that we um, could address some of the questions that you had. And I'll be looking forward to the next segment. All righty. See you later. Well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 00026, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast, We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help. 24 hours a day. Just give us a call. 1-800-226-7273.